This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 47. Today, I'm talking to Kay Hutchison all about self-care. We delve into all sorts of wild and wonderful aspects of self-care as creators. And I'm sure you guys realize that I am not very good at self-care. So this was a um, pertinent and lesson learned type of episode for me. But first to last week's question, which was what writing or editing software do you use? So first in was Ritu who said more recently, Scrivener for writing, but word for some things. Victoria L.K. Williams said, Dragon Anywhere for Dictation, Scrivener for Writing, and you've got to try this new one, which she loves, Plotter for Outlining. And uh, my iPad's getting delivered this week, so I have decided to try Plotter um, before I kick off my next book. So yeah, I am going to try that. So thank you for the recommendation. Gloria McBreen said, Just Word for Me, Am I Missing Out? Uh, Kerry Hadiski said, I use Scrivener mostly, but Google Docs for a backup and because sometimes I write at work or on my phone. Yeah, and um, I'm moving towards putting uh, Scrivener in, in my Scrivener documents in Dropbox because you can access it across different platforms, where you, whereas you can't if it's in the iCloud. So um, yeah, I am trying to do more accessible things on different uh, platforms as well. Jeff Adams says, I use Scrivener. I love how it helps organize everything. Naomi Kem... Naomi Kennedy said Scrivener for writing and Dropbox for backup syncing across platforms. Now I'm curious to check out Plotter. I've also heard great things about Aeon Timeline. Uh, does anyone use it? I don't. I don't know if you guys do. Um, I haven't heard of it. Uh, but yeah, if you have, tweet me or message in uh, the Facebook group and let me know. Tom Fowler says Scrivener for writing. Uh, he also uses Pro Writing Aid. He brought the lifetime subscription on a sale a couple of years ago to clean things up before sending it to his editor. And I have to say, I am going to be buying the uh, lifetime subscription to uh, once this year's runs out. I think it's amazing. Edwin said Scrivener, uh, Jotter text editor on his phone. Um, Val Neal said Scrivener, Tango said Scrivener, lots and lots of um, Tango, uh, Tango users, <laughs> no sorry Tango, lots and lots of Scrivener users. This is what happens when you try and read and uh, record at the same time. Uh, Renee said um, I use YWriter to write, which I haven't heard of, and save the files to Google Drive. Uh, I export a word to edit and have the pro writing aid plugin brought. She also brought um, the lifetime subscription. And Matt says currently just writing in pages, which is an Apple product. Um, and Jasmine also loves Scrivener. So yeah, lots of Scrivener lovers out there and um, a few pro writing aid lovers and, and some other ones too. So this week's question is what self-care do you do? 
My book recommendation this week is Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Brady. This is a nod to the original Save the Cat uh, book, which was about screenwriting. I'm about a hundred pages through and it is good. It is, I think it's good. It is a great reminder of uh, structure and uh, story structure in particular and the different genres and how those things apply to uh, structure and also by genre, some of the key things that you need to include. Um, it's not necessarily, um, so uh, it is a great book, but I don't think I'm personally learning too much that's new, but I really like the angle that they're taking. And so, um, yeah, I do think it's worthwhile. And I think it's a great reminder as well. So perhaps not something if you've been, you know, writing stories for 25 years, but, uh, I also think we always should be improving our craft and intentionally trying to improve that. So it might be a good reminder. Um, yeah, so I do I do recommend it no matter uh, what uh, point of the journey you are in. Personal update this week. I don't really know where this week has gone. It's been a funny old week. I'm really, really tired. I hit about 11.30 in the morning on Friday and I just... Stopped. I just, I was staring at the screen. I had no idea what I'd been doing for the last hour and I just stopped and it's now Sunday and I haven't really worked since Friday and I still feel absolutely fucked. So I am obviously, you know, stepping close to the edge of burnout, I think. Um, so I need to try and be a bit more careful next week and try not to put too much pressure on myself to continue to deliver things um but this week I continued drafting sirens actually I'm not sure if I was dra drafting it last week I can't remember what I said in my update but anyway I'm now about 7,000 words in um I continued working on the anatomy of prose course and oh, hit a massive brick wall with it and decided to completely change what I'm doing so I am still going to, so I have literally I've I have so many modules um that I will still be releasing, but I am going to release more, lots of mini courses um, and then bundle them together at the end. Um, and the reason for this is well, when I was looking at like the hundred things I had to do by the 8th of October for one course, which was meant to be small and just kept ballooning, um, I just got completely overwhelmed. So what I'm doing instead is narrowing um, the course dramatically so that I can go deeper into one particular topic and then once I've done that topic I will look at another topic in the anatomy of prose and then go narrow and deep into that one and then release that course and so on and so forth until I get through the whole fucking thing so um and then I will be able to bundle it for anybody who wants the entire uh, course but yes I there are so many lessons I learned there which I'm just not going to go into right now but um suffice to say <laughs> I kind of have to start again, but uh, I'm not losing anything that I've done. Uh, and on the Anatomy of Prose course, I am also doing a webinar with um, Pro Writing Aid, which you may have heard me mention briefly last week. Uh, it's on the 8th of October, and um, I'm going to include a link in the show notes if you would like to sign up to that webinar. And it's called How to Breathe Life into Your Story, Characters and Sentences. Um, 
what else what else i think that's that's probably it for this week um yeah i'm i'm going to leave it there and hopefully i'll have more to update you with next week okay so the uh, rebel of the week this week is anonymous mm, how uh, how mysterious so anonymous says for years, I wanted to get my books traditionally published. I had a grand idea of what it looked like to be an author with a big house. When that contract finally came, I signed on the dotted line without doing much research. Working with a publishing house and an editor was a learning experience to say the least, and I would never trade it. But without the marketing push that I always expected from a traditional deal, it soon became evident that I was producing more than getting in return. Over the years, outside of negotiating a new deal or getting the manuscript to them, communication was less than stellar. I wouldn't hear an answer about a query for weeks, sometimes months, and it began to seem like a one-sided relationship where I wasn't making the money I needed to sustain a career. Unfortunately, I fell into the trap that so many traditional authors do and found myself in the loop of the option clause. That little bugger forced me into more contracts, and I always felt the pressure to keep up signing. Uh, keep signing. With each new contract, I told myself that it would be different, but it turned out it was only different when I stood up for the books in the way they didn't. After hiring an ad manager, I saw more sales for the two novels than I did for the others before combined. I learned that with a little love, these books could flourish and I wanted that for any forthcoming ones. I'm a strict rule follower and the idea of saying no to a book deal terrified me. But one thing I know for sure is that I deserved more and I had found that for, and I had found that for myself when I pushed my books out there for readers to find. If my publisher couldn't do the same then why the hell was I staying with them? While many emerging authors would kill for book deals, I understand I understood that I needed a business partner to help me get more for my books than I could on my own. So with a new deal on the table from my publisher for books I was no longer excited to write for them, I politely and professionally turned it down, unsure of what the outcome would be. I finally found my voice and my worth, and I'm terrified and excited to see what the future holds with hopefully more fun and rebellious actions against those who don't have this author's best interests in mind. I love that. I love that it's a story of empowerment. I love that it has an arc and a journey and that you um, are coming to the dark side of Indy. <laughs> and I am wildly biased about that. Yeah, I do think that many authors who want tr to be traditionally published assume that they are going to get more support for their books than they actually do in reality. And I think that's a dangerous myth that perpetuates because, you know, the, it leads so many authors astray and then they can't afford to leave their day jobs or, yeah, whatever. So um, please make sure you guys, if you are thinking of going traditionally published, that you are acutely aware of what marketing support you're at going to get after you have signed those contracts. If you would like to be a rebel of the week then please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small or somewhere in between. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. No new patrons this week but a huge thank you as always to all of my current patrons. I really really can't tell you how much I appreciate you, especially in the current climate. I appreciate that you help me keep the pod going, that you uh, make me feel like, you know, you want more of the podcast. So thank you. I really do appreciate it.
If you would also like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that's Sasha with a C and not an S. This week's episode is sponsored by Kobo, so I will play a word from them and then we'll get on with the show. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Tara. And we're from Kobo Writing Life. Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. We wanted to tell you a little about Kobo's global reach. From our home base here in Toronto, we work hard to keep customers reading all over the world. And as a KWL author, you're doing your part too. Here are some tips that can help your books stand out globally. At Kobo Writing Life, you can set the price in 16 currencies. When you're pricing your book, you should consider how your prices are being shown globally in our store. Is your $5.99 USD price showing as $4.69 in British pounds? Chances are an offered price will likely just sway the purchase of your book. Make sure you are manually setting the price in all currencies. Speaking of all the worldly currencies, you can also set price promotions with KWL that are currency specific. Want to honor Canada Day with a promotion? You can do that in Canadian dollars and leave your other prices just as they are. And we haven't even mentioned all the partner stores Kobo has around the world. Did you know that you can target your marketing to our partners directly? If you want to learn more about this or any aspects of KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and find us on social. You can create your free account today at kobo.com slash writinglife. We hope to see your books on Kobo very soon. Happy writing! Hello and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Kay Hutchison. Kay is a content creator with a background in radio, TV and publishing. After two music degrees at Glasgow University, she joined BBC Radio as a producer before moving across to TV with Channel 4. She went on to lead the launch teams for both Disney TV and Channel 5. She started her own company, Bell Media, and then launched Bell Kids Publishing in 2015, producing multi-platform conservation-focused content for children. Her first non-fiction book is My Life in 37 Therapies, Part Guide, Part Memoir, and she narrated the audiobook version that came out this year. And for listeners listening in the future, that's 2020. <laughs> Welcome, Kay. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much for asking me, Sasha. No, you're nice. Welcome. It's uh, it's a pleasure to speak to you, especially after I've I've had you in my ears. Um, so before we before we start, tell everyone a little bit more about you. I I would love to hear more actually um, about the the media and the the TV and the radio that you've been doing. So tell tell everyone a little bit about your journey, um, and then and then your writing journey specifically and how you how you got to where you are today. Very good, no problem. Uh, so obviously I'm Scottish. I was born and brought up in uh, Greenock in Scotland, which is near Glasgow. Um, I'm now a small independent publisher of mainly children's books and as you said we've produced conservation focus books um, one of the titles is Tigeropolis conservation themes like protecting a tiger's natural habitat but turned into fun stories for kids that are more appealing done audiobooks activity books as the video game but formerly I was in tv and radio as you just um, outlined 
Um, I think probably safe to say that uh, creative writing is always part of my work in some way or the other. Um, but um, I had a massive um, life change, which I recount in the book, and everything changed a lot. And uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. But the my, I had always wanted to work for the BBC. Even when I was small, my friends say to me, I was always talking about, I wanted to go and work in the BBC. So when I um, graduated, uh, my last year at university, I went along to student television where I ended up learning some of the, the ropes there. And I uh, immediately began applying for jobs. My, my degrees were in music but, <laughs> and French, but I was really keen on using that really in some way in a career. So I applied, I didn't get in first time, but I applied to be a studio manager for BBC Radio. And I got in the next year, and that was after I did some work at Decca Records, which lots of you will know. And I was a kind of a, a, a studio manager, so I learned all about how all the twiddles and knobs work. And I ended up very quickly becoming a music producer for BBC World Service, which was, I really felt it was a great place for me to be. But that TV thing was always in my mind. I loved doing the radio programmes, but I got an opportunity to become a network director at Channel 4. And so I moved across there and I ended up then staying in television from there on in. And a lot of my work was around making promotion, looking after the branding for the TV channels. And I basically just worked my way up and I didn't move quickly. But I stayed in uh, Channel 4 for about eight years, learning all the ropes there and ending up sort of finding out about, you know, basically the sort of media, you know, who's watching trailers that goes on to watch the actual programmes, things like that, as well as creating. Um, I made some programmes and I also made lots of um, trailers in the middle of, um, you know, between the programmes. Um, so that went on really well and I actually worked my way up very well and I ended up being headhunted to go back to BBC Broadcast which was a 1500 strong team to help them actually they were about to be sold by the BBC and they needed to become more culturally and, and commercially focused and they brought me back in because I'd worked in commercial channels and basically I ended up working for every single department there and eventually I became director of client services and then director of partnerships for for that company, right in the middle of doing my most beloved project, which was looking at, uh, as a partnership, at the, uh, the legacy to the Olympic Broadcast Centre for 2012, I lost my job. Yes, it was 2008, and yes, you could say it was the, the crash, but you always think it's your own fault, and what, what did I do wrong? But actually, I ended up leading um, or had been leading, um, I mean, there's about 50 companies, all the big companies, ITV, you know, um, BBC, I mean, in actually pushing for something that would be of value after the Games was over. It only happens for two weeks, there's massive investment, and then everyone, the roadshow goes on. I was absolutely determined that out in the East End of London, we would have a centre for jobs. And actually, I couldn't think of anything better 
than having it there, lots of creative energy and also doing something in media, which is really attractive to, well, anybody. So I ended up doing that, but I ended up doing that even after I'd, I'd been made redundant. So it was kind of around this time that everything was kind of going wrong for me. And I ended up writing a book about this period. So if you read the book, there are things about the work that I was doing and the threat of it all just collapsing and me collapsing as well. Um, in terms of the writing though, I ended up trying lots and lots and lots of therapies to get myself back on track because everything had gone. Um, and uh, one of my friends who knew that I liked trying new things, she's a Pilates uh, uh, teacher, Rose, she was going off on a writing retreat with Mavis Cheek and she said, oh look, I don't want to go on my own. Why don't you come with me? You, you like retreats, you'll love it. And I was thinking, well, I've done creative writing all my life, but actually not actual writing. So off I trot and we had all this homework and it was quite a shock for me. And then when I started doing the homework, I realized that I was really enjoying this and it wasn't difficult. And I was writing and writing and writing. Got to the writing retreat and of course it's full of really really experienced people so it was a bit of a baptism of fire um but that started me writing so that's how i got to where i am and i'd already started a little company myself and that eventually morphed into the little independent publisher of children's books as well so um that's what i've been doing and then i wrote my own book would you ever consider writing for media and BBC, do you think? Uh, of course. I mean, the funny thing is that um, I've had a huge number of um, BBC radio interviews and, um, and actually I'm now doing a podcast about books and stories, which I just started. And it's so much, it feels like home to me because it's what I always did. Um, and I, I mean, you just have to write, I mean, I'm writing every single day of my life, either it could be press releases, it could be um, new creative writing for my next book. So no, no problem with that, really. I can't see a problem with that. Yeah, I'd love to. I think it's funny, so many things in life come full circle. So um, <laughs> when I was a teenager, I used to do voiceover work. And I did, I did some radio work and I did some... Um, Back in the day, we had CD-ROMs, uh, but I did like CD-ROM work and stuff. Um, and I never, once I left that behind, I never thought that I would come back to it. Um, but of course, here I am. Yes, podcasting. A very lovely, you've got a very lovely voice and accent, actually. So I think I think these things just bubble to the surface again, don't they? They do, and it's it, it's funny you say that. That's exactly why I podcast because I had enough people say to me, "Oh, you know, we love listening to your voice. You should you you should do this," and I was like, "Oh, no, no, no." Um, <laughs> and anyway, here I am. Now you love it. Now you love it. I do, and I really do because <laughs> it's 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 enough contact. Like you get to speak to wonderfully interesting people with amazing backgrounds, and share the learnings both from them from you from the learnings from this interaction with other people so it's like a win-win-win um and and yes and like i don't know i just i love the medium of audio as well um 
yeah so anyway this isn't about me this is about you so tell everyone a little bit more about um your new book that you just published well just i say just not quite just anymore but you know recently published yes yes so my life in 37 therapies is is kind of my life story but told through the medium of all of the therapies that i tried um, during this difficult period it was a period of several years when everything was turned upside down in my life and um, started off really with the the moment when my my mother actually died of cancer after I and mean, it was really miserable four years that she had I was working in London but going up and down to Scotland regularly taking her to hospital worrying about my father as well and and I, I, I think you know when you're in the middle of something like that as so many people will know you you have to be on autopilot and just keeping going and I think it was after she died where I suddenly thought oh I haven't even taken a breath it's just it's so miserable and then of course you continue to worry about the people that are left so my father was left on his own and um you know mum was everything to him so it, it really was difficult but then actually just a few uh, weeks after the, the funeral um i discovered a lump in my husband's throat and he also had uh, was diagnosed with cancer the great news was that he got through it and it, he was treated chemotherapy radiotherapy but this was another thing to deal with and making sure I was buying all the correct foods and looking after him so I, I was working still running back with the shopping all that sort of stuff just sort of just just as you do you just juggle everything try to juggle everything eventually and I, I will never forget the when Richard got cancer I will never forget the moment when the doctor said to us you know this will change your life many things about it so you you know you need to be prepared for this anyway long story short we eventually uh, got divorced and so i was left with my job and and that thank goodness that was my uh solid thing that i could rely on and then it was made redundant uh so the last source of my stability uh, really for me was was taken away and I ended up um, I had no thought of writing a book at this time I was literally trying to get through um, you know, living in my own and and wondering what how am I going to start again um, how, how do I explain all this to my friends and then you know one of my friends who obviously couldn't really give me any more advice as a good friend she said you've got to go and get some professional help here you know you can't do this yourself so that started me so I was already doing yoga a bit of love a massage um and then I went to a psychotherapist I actually ended up going to five in the end but that was mainly because I, I was moving around as well I was moving from flat to rent to flat to rent to flat and trying to work out where did I, where was I going to go, where was I going to stay, what was my life going to look like in the new uh, place. Um, so the story is told through the many therapies, and I must make a shout out for the therapists. I mean, they, they make these things happy for you. They're wonderful people, and I encountered the most incredible community of, of mainly women who are supportive, skilled, 
knowledgeable and, and helpful in, in many, many ways. So I encountered um, many therapies along the way. So everything from the ordinary things, you know, Reiki, reflexology, homeopathy. I did sonic therapy. It's now very popular now, but when I was doing it, was quite unusual. Cupping, colonic irrigation, ear vedic retreats. And even the more extreme things of, you know, when I was at my lowest, psychic calls and, and voodoo. And I'm actually a really, really grounded person. And if anyone had said to you, okay, he's going off to do this, all these people in my TV and media career would have said, you're kidding, get lost. I mean, that's, it's Kay. She's, you know, solid, you know, all the rest of it. But um, I, I think this period made me reflect on so many things, my, my childhood, my upbringings, quite old fashioned. And I've been, I mean, this is me suddenly, you know, out in the wild again, um, with, on my own and having to start again. So really the book is about the period of time where I had to, I was going all through these things and having, um, it sounds like fun, but actually some of it wasn't. But they helped me come through and out the other side. And I'm still exploring new ones as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> you get interested in it. You get very interested in it. Absolutely. So I think under all of this is, is the concept of self-care. So, uh, and that's really the topic for today's discussion. So t tell me, how would you define self-care? Well, I think uh, it's so incredibly important because I think self-care is basically making sure that you're as healthy and well as you possibly can be physically and mentally. And that's everything, you know, sleep, physical activity, mental clarity, positive thinking, healthy eating. But actually, I think the biggest realisation that I had through writing the book was the fact that I had completely ignored self-care for most of my life. Because I, A, I was too busy. B, for some reason, I was kind of so busy in the doing world, you know, the getting on, the working hard. I mean, I worked incredibly hard. I was quite often in at weekends, workaholic, you know, in the evenings, long days. And, you know, and then when my mum was ill, it was basically you know, focus on that, what's next, you know, organised, you know, be there for her, all those sort of things. And actually, I realised through this period that I completely had forgotten about, oh, actually, you actually have to look after yourself in order to be the best person you can be for others and out in the world. So it was a big revelation to me that I did feel better when I spent some time looking after my own physical and mental health. Yeah, I completely uh, agree. And I remember my own revelation with self-care. Self-care is a really big problem for me because um, there's some part of my psyche that thinks self-care is weakness. And, um, you know, I'm sure I should go and explore what that really means and what the, what the underlying things are um but I'm just too busy <laughs> do you see yes. <laughs> <laughs> um uh but yes so I still remember the moment I had a revelation and I can't remember whether it was 
uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, or whether it was her podcast, because she also did a couple of series on a podcast. And she was basically talking about this woman who had come to the realization that in order to love her family in the best possible way, she had to love herself first. And for her, that was having the time to write. When she had written, not only was she a better human, she was a happier human, she was a better parent, she was more loving, and she was then able to give out more love. And it just, I felt so seen, so recognized, and so heard. And, and it's because I, I, I feel exactly the same. I want to be the best parent I possibly can be, but there is a huge part of my happiness that is derived from creation. And unless I'm able to create, I get very fucking grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's really hard because I, there's, there's parental guilt and I feel so guilty about that. And like that, that I don't, I'm not sure if it's that I don't deserve that time or what, or what, but I, I definitely feel like that should always come second and it shouldn't because it provides our house, no, it pays the bills. But yes, anyway, I think there is a lot of stigma in society about self-care and, and, and all I can say is try Scotland, you know, cause honestly, <laughs> you know, when I was bringing out this book, you can imagine, you know, I, I could hear my father, he's now, uh, dead he passed away a couple of years ago but he would be saying oh for goodness sake get back in your bite what's all what's all this therapy stuff you're doing you know it's sort of stuff nonsense but I think looking at um my, me growing up I mean I think the biggest revelation for me was that um growing up quite often uh, you make up your mind about things when you're a very young person with a very unsophisticated brain that's thinking that's good, that's bad. And you pick up a lot of it from people around you, your family as well, and also just the culture that you're in. And I do think that the guilt, I had tremendous guilt. I mean, guilty about everything. I mean, you name it, just list everything that I've ever done there'll be some guilt in there and you know that pressure is, is terrible on you and often you're doing it to yourself so I think what was great was that when I looked at um, things through a psychotherapist's sessions or through their eye where they were prompting me to, to actually consider and reflect on what uh, why I was you know, why this had happened to me. Um, there was this tremendous thing about me deciding, you know, it's all the usual things, you know, you're not good enough, you don't deserve, you're not important. And um, whether these are right or wrong, it doesn't matter. If you've got that in your mind, for whatever reason, it's very, very hard to shift. And it's something you have to work on, I think, throughout your life. Oh, completely. I, I couldn't agree more with you. And yes, self, the, the problem with self-care for me is that I, I just don't really do it. And then I hit a brick wall and I'm forced to do it. And I'm trying very hard not to allow myself to get to that point because it's then twice as hard to come back from it. And if I hate one thing above anything else, it's inefficiency. And uh, <laughs> so, so, which is 
probably really ironic but um yeah if, I, wonder, if anything... I wonder if this is a pisces trait because i mean you're so organized you've got everything all beautifully done and you also have to have that in its little box as well yeah. <laughs> i know i schedule time for spontaneity um, <laughs> <laughs> if only i was joking um okay <laughs> Right, so you, you've done all of these therapies, that all 37 of them, or, or possibly more now. Um, but now you've come through the other side of that. What exercises do you still do as a result of all the, the self-care and therapy experiments? And of the ones that you still do, what do you feel are the other benefits? Um, well, I still do quite a lot, but, but the ones that I do most regularly um, is yoga. And I mean, I, I honestly, I just can't recommend it enough. And the great thing is that I do see lots more people interested in yoga now. And I was talking about the fact that I, didn't, I hadn't really bothered about self-care. I mean, I did see myself as a machine to deliver outputs. I did. I was oh, I was oh, basically. I feel so and, pulled out right now. <laughs> <laughs> I literally use that word all the time. And, and, and actually, I, I didn't even, I honestly didn't have a spiritual side that I was aware of. And I think what's beautiful about yoga is you go into it for the physical and possibly the mental clarity that, that it provides. But actually, it really does also encompass a spiritual side to you. And I know that for a lot of people, they think that's just a bit woo-woo. But do you know, it, once you've got it, you know what it, you can't, you can't have it the whole time, but yoga is great because not only does it iron out all kinds of things and make the whole physical system work by easing and stretching and, and mobilizing every single muscle, which is import, so important for health. But also it does, because you have to concentrate on these things and you have to shut out everything else in order to concentrate on the exercises, it is very good for you controlling your mind. And of course, that's our biggest problem is actually allowing our minds to just absorb all the, the terrible, fearful, guilty emotions. So it's good for uh, mental focus and then it's good for it's just such a, when I finish a yoga class, I really feel as if I love everybody. And we, you know, I love everyone in the class, but I love everybody because suddenly, because of self-caring for myself, I feel I can breathe and, and be more whole in a funny sort of a way. So yoga is a big one. I think because of my music, musical background, there are two things that are huge for me music and sonic therapy whatever it is it doesn't matter what it is there are certain tracks that almost immediately send me into a really good place and you know the minute i play those because i play them over and over and over again because they give me this just wonderful feeling um i i'm i'm in a good place and the other thing about with a musical background the other thing is silence and meditation i know that sounds like a, a ridiculous thing to say but you know when you when you have silence and meditation, yoga and music, that's wonderful in life. I mean, of course you need, you know, you need your friends and family and all that, but these are the things that are my go-to saviors when I have to keep me sane 
Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I um, a couple of things. I love meditation, um, but I have an extremely volatile relationship with it. So, um, or I shouldn't say volatile. I say more of a roller coaster relationship. I will I will meditate for months on end consecutively every single day, and then if I lose the habit for whatever reason, it's gone for months and months and months. Um, and so I'm in the gone phase at the moment because we've moved house twice in a year, and um, I've left my job just over a year ago. So everything's all you know. And then we've had Corona, so I'm completely out. I think the last time I meditated was like maybe March just in yeah well maybe february march time just before the lockdown um but i love it because it just i i have an extremely busy brain it's constantly going it's like static constant thoughts and percolations and whatever else writing five stories at the same time um but meditation brings peace and and calm and quiet in my brain. And so, yeah, I, I, I must get back to it. But the other thing I was giggling to myself whilst you were talking is about yoga. So I don't do yoga, but I do do martial arts and it's, <laughs> which is like the complete <laughs> extreme so, end. It's slightly <laughs> predictable actually, isn't it? For you, go, go, you think? go. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh God, I'm um yeah well but I was laughing because a lot of the things that you were saying about having to be present and using all of your body to move and and the you know how you love everybody afterwards like we punch each other but we give each other hugs at the end you know like and you, you and it's it's this this a very hilarious juxtaposition but for a lot of the same reasons about in that hour I have to be so fully in inside my body because it's all about control and and discipline and you know um moving in in those right patterns or or, you know movements or whatever and um yeah so I wonder if it's if it is just moving your body and it's it's about finding the way that you enjoy to move your body um, more than it is necessarily one specific type of movement, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, fantastic. Well, there's so I mean, there's so many different types of yoga as well. I mean, you know, you have to you pick pick the one that suits you. But I, I thought it was a very important point that you made about your meditation because I, I don't know, it's just like more pressure in a way. But you do need to make time for self care. So whether it's yoga or, you know, your martial arts, whether it's just eating healthily that helps your body be the best that it can be. All of these things take, you know, and sleep, preparing for sleep, you need to actually put some effort into it. And the benefits are just enormous. Um, but it's sometimes very hard to stop. And I don't know about you, certainly in lockdown, it's, it's the weirdest weirdest experience in my whole life this Mm. kind of you can feel around you that everyone's got this underlying sort of dull feeling of anxiety but they don't quite know what it is a general fear and I think it's even more important to do self-care and meditation at this time it's the exhaustion that's got me the underlying anxiety has caused an intense exhaustion um through lockdown and i and obviously part of that we have moved house during lockdown and done a full renovation during lockdown and we've had full-time <laughs> childcare and also running a business still and i've had two book launches in lockdown so you know there is some of that compiled on it but also i i re- but those are things that i would do anyway and i really feel like 
the exhaustion is sourced from the anxiety um, and whether or not I necessarily outwardly feel anxious. I, I don't think I necessarily do, but there is obviously subconscious anxiety because it, everybody's feeding off each other. And, and, and it's the lack of control. The control has been taken away. The control of our freedom has been taken away. And that cause, that is a cause of anxiety in, in and of itself. Um, also. And, and also, you know, it, it's this thing about, well, who exactly is in charge of this? Yes. You know, we're, we're doing certain things and we're trying to be good, but actually we're, we're looking at, at the things that we're being asked to do and we're thinking, it, it, it doesn't seem altogether very sensible. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I won't get into a... Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I don't want to yeah, politicise... Yeah, have all started. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to politicise the podcast. Um, but uh, the sleep thing's very important also um and a very good segue because I, I want to ask why you feel self-care is so important but um i used to have a terrible relationship with sleep and it wasn't until i worked for myself that i realized just quite how important it was but what but why is self-care so important i i think um i think it's it's basically so that you can be the best person out in the world for others as well as yourself. I think it's important because you'll enjoy life, more appreciate life, and keep some sort of sense of balance in your mind and body. So no matter what is going on around, and especially at the moment where it is crazy chaotic stuff, you can be centered if you take um, attention, you pay attention to self-care. It's this centering that sort of says, you know, you're being in the present moment and you don't need to, you don't need to get caught up in all, all the worry. For this moment, you can actually, you know, think about what is good and healthy for you. And it just leads to being a better person, I think, with others. Yeah, I, I completely, uh, completely agree. So how, how much self-care do we need? How, how much does it take to get us to this good place, do you think? Well, I think it, it varies for everyone, depending on what kind of personality type you are, what, what your uh, role in, in work is as well. But I think that um, every day we should be, I mean, the, the best thing to do is to put a little bit of time aside every single day. And I like to do it before I go to bed, where I do a little bit of uh, yoga, wind down. I do a little bit of meditation. And maybe I've, I've switched off the telly early that night. I haven't had any decaffeinated drinks or wine in the evening that night. Maybe I've put some Epsom salts in the bath. I tell you, if you actually pay a little bit of attention to your self-care once during the day, that will be very good. And if you don't do it for heaven's sake, don't beat yourself up because we're all struggling to do everything. We've all got our own challenges. Just do what you can. And, and if you haven't done it today, well, just say, right, I'm going to do it tomorrow. But I, I think once a day where you're aware of the fact that you need to do something good for yourself, it might, it might be buying yourself an ice cream for goodness sake. It could, that could be self-care, treating yourself but everyone's different. 
Absolutely. And um, I think it's, I think the real takeaway for me in, in what you just said there is that don't beat yourself up if you don't do the self-care because that is the complete opposite of doing self-care and and if you then haven't done the self-care you're just making it worse but it's so easy and i do it all the time um yeah it's really interesting isn't it because self-care can look like so many different things so for me and i only i think i only realized this very recently being around books is a form of self-care for me and um and I only realized this because I have now been parted from my books uh, physically for probably about six weeks, if oh not maybe God. eight weeks. Yeah. And it's because we moved. So we packed up the house a month before we left. And then we, we were due to have carpet installed last week, I think it was. Well, I've, all my days are gone anyway. And we're not having it until the 15th of July. And, and it almost gives me physical pain. Like, because I have this beautiful bookcase and I don't necessarily even have to be reading the books, but just standing near them. I know it sounds bad. It's, but like, it's, like, it's like your family, isn't it? Yeah. Little, your children. Yeah. And, and when the bookcase was in the bedroom and I woke up to that view, I used to wake up and smile every single morning. Aww. And and yeah. And so when, when the, the bookstores in the UK opened again, I was like in like a shot because just absorbing it. And, but I mean, also reading is a form of self-care for me very much because I am forced to sit down and be present um, in one thing. But yeah, it's just the fact that everybody's self-care can look different and whatever it looks like, whatever brings you that energy and joy is right and okay. Um, okay, how does regular self-care help the creative process, do you think? Well, I think, um, for me, I can really only speak for me, but I think... Um, if I have actually been indulging, see, look, there it is indulging in self-care. See, there it is again. It's terrible. Um, I think I'm energized and happy and my mind is clear if I'm actually doing those things. So that when I sit down at the desk with a blank uh, screen and I put on my music, my music that just seems to help the creative process and I feel good, I'm off. That, that's it. I, I get lots of ideas. The ideas flood in and there's clarity and creativity and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of unstoppable. And I, I, I bet you're like that too. But you yeah. do need to look after yourself because if, if, you know, if you're not sleeping well, if you haven't looked after what you're eating, you don't feel good about yourself and mm. therefore it will it probably means that your performance or whatever you're actually going to be doing is, is a bit sluggish and it will reflect the state of mind that you've encouraged by the lack of self-care so self-care is so important as part of the whole i think completely and um yes i i definitely i have to uh, input inspiration definitely and that is a for you know so I will like visit cemeteries or <laughs> abandoned underground train stations yeah. or museums <laughs> or whatever and that is also a form of self-care every so often I just feel like I need to go and input and often by myself and I'll just go and do these things or I'll go with my partner and we will yeah I just feel like putting in stimulus 
but in a very you know there's no technology you're just present you're looking you're touching you know you're with nature or whatever it, it is yeah i just definitely i completely agree i feel more full and able to then create all right let's flip this on its head are there any self-care therapies uh, or therapies that you don't recommend that i don't recommend uh, uh, can i just say something about what you were saying there though because i think that was a really interesting point for me and you mentioned solitude and one of the things that i discovered during this time was that actually i was so scared about it at first but i actually love solitude and actually my partner thinks i'm a bit odd because i love walking in cemeteries he, he will say to me oh were you off seeing the dead people again and i love dead trees and i love nature and nothing i, I love just ordinary nature and i think you're absolutely right for me that is a huge source of self-care for me and it's essential a bit every day or every other day sometimes i don't manage it but but um you know dead trees cemeteries love it give me bring me more i i like to climb into abandoned buildings i'm a bit known <laughs> for it and i take pictures that are like you know because it looks like a dystopian world and i'm like oh my god this is amazing for inspiration but in terms of cemeteries have you ever been to highgate I have. Oh, oh wonderful. Wonderful. So wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to take my mum back and it's just, oh, it's just fantastic. I thought it was, um, yeah. It, just, it is great for creative ideas as well, isn't it? Because yep. you're, you're in a peaceful place and yet there are lots of interesting uh, stimulus to, to get your creative juices flowing. Anyway, therapies that I don't recommend. Um, look, I think, again, I mean, I know this sounds as if I'm sitting on the fence. I, I will tell you what mine are, but I would never say never to anyone else because we're all completely, basically, if it makes you feel good, do it. I mean, there was a time where, you know, I was calling sidekicks and now I sort of think, oh my God, I'm so reliant on that because I had no friends, or at least I did, I, there, was, there were no friends that I could share what I was going through with. And um, I guess that psychic calls, you know, became an important, I mean, it was like my, it was like a friend that I could, a non-judgmental friend who listened and gave me what they said were insights into the psyche or, the, you know, whatever, whatever it was about some situation that was going on was making me very upset. And of course I was on my own, I was also I was interested in finding another partner and all those sort of things. But for a while, it made me feel better. It always makes me laugh. If you ever go on a psychic line, there's this big formal statement at the beginning that says, these calls are for entertainment purposes only. And I was sort of thinking, well, yeah, I can remember doing it as a bit of fun, at maybe a party or something like that. But actually, I needed that at the time. And a lot of people really swear by it. So anything that doesn't make you feel better don't do it don't force yourself um do what makes you feel good that's that's the bottom line so i did um i probably wouldn't use psychic calls at this moment in time because i've moved on a huge amount but there was also i mean i caught colonic, colonic irrigation i really hoped for a seismic change in my physical appearance and and mentally it would move me on but it didn't um, and it's actually i lost three inches <laughs> well it's very good for that yeah 
yes, yes. But you know, does it last? And no, no. But I think um, the voodoo was an interesting one, and that just didn't work for me at all. But I think it was also because at that moment in time, I was coming out of being in a very deep, dark place. And I realized that actually I'd moved on and I didn't need some of the things that they were suggesting for me to do. I mean, I had this horrendous relationship with someone. Well, actually, I was totally um, in, in love, I was totally and utterly besotted. And uh, I, I, I definitely know he reciprocated, but then I it turns out that he's got someone else. So I was absolutely plunged into the, the depths because, again, I blamed myself and I thought, well, how could I not even see that? How did I not know that? Anyway, this voodoo person was telling me, you know, oh, you need to get this person back. And I was sort of thinking, no, I don't. Bad, bad idea. You need to go to a department store and buy a, a, a wedding dress and a suit for him put them uh, in, you know, alongside, uh, here's an incantation, you light a candle, and you light a candle and you do this incantation for the next six weeks. And I just sort of thought, no, I'm sorry, I've completely moved on from all of that. So, but anyway, back to the more physical therapies. I mean, I did a lot. So, you know, if you do read the book, there's, some, there's something in there called the re-education therapy. And it was a bit like brainwashing. It had some very, very good things in it, but it went too far. And I, I, it was great because I was strong enough that I was able to say, no, I'm not going to do any more of this. It was funny. I had people phoning me, emailing me from the, the course saying, oh, come back, come back. And I, I just thought, no, I'm definitely done. Um, but I, I think anything, you know, the, there's one in there called esoteric breast massage, which is exactly what you're thinking exactly what you're thinking and a friend of mine at sky tv swore by it and this is the really important thing some people will swear by the thing that you that doesn't work for you fine try it move on but that was the weirdest uh, experience and i'm not very good with you know touch because I'm, I'm a scottish presbyterian blah 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 um so it was very well out of my comfort zone and I eventually thought oh no next you know and, and move on to the next thing acupuncture turned out to be great but my first experience you know in a basement with um a doctor that didn't speak any English was sticking pins in me opening noisy plastic packages hadn't explained anything to me not a good start but of course acupuncture is quite uh, quite good and quite helpful yeah, acupuncture has helped my, um, I had a car accident a few, well, over a decade ago now, um, and have now re recurring neck issues. Um, but I found acupuncture has helped um, my neck issues. Okay, I think we've, we've alluded to this already, but uh, we're often taught to see self-care as secondary, as weakness, as something to be put on the back burner, do it later, you don't deserve it, blah, 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 all of this, this stuff that we've already talk, talked about. So what would you say to those who struggle to allow themselves to do self-care? Um, I'd probably, my first reaction would probably be um, leave them alone because they're not ready. And, you know, we should never push someone into something that is just not for them. 
Um, I think if they want to, if they really want to, to, to do something for themselves and they don't know what, where to start, I mean, try some different things. I mean, look up the 37 in my book or on my website, I've got even more things that you could try. I think, I mean, I think, again, it's obviously out of the comfort zone of some people and we sh they, they should really not worry. If they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And that's the end of the story. But if they do want to do something, start gently. Do something very simple that it, that is quite, I mean, I think some people like, you know, things where there's, there's not uh, contact. And, and, and actually self-care is, is uh, actually, it is therapy. And therapy is about anything that makes you feel better. It's exactly the same self-care. Therapies make you feel better. So you can put in there what that definition is. But if you're meaning therapies and sorts of things that are not just buying yourself a nice cream, um, something that's really physically very nourishing and good for you or for your body or for your mind, look around at what could be very, very simple. And I think the best thing is probably meditation, a bit of guided meditation, because you're doing it on your own. You're not with anyone else. And, you know, the other thing that's great these days is that there's all kinds of different styles. Don't try one and say, oh, it's not for me. I, I spoke to someone um, the other day and they said, oh, yoga's not for me. And I just thought, well, but there are so many different forms of yoga so many different styles of yoga teaching, so many different personalities. It's worth seeing if you can find, if you're really dedicated to finding a way that's right for you, try the thousands of me different meditations. For me, there were a couple that were, I mean, I, I, I'm not one for this, you know, lie down, think of a, you know, scene of the beautiful country or something like that. You know, when it's it's very overly done like that, it's not for me. I prefer things that are a bit more um, e sort of easing you into it, easing you into it very gently. So a bit more normal people, not put on voices, very natural. It works for me. Um, and just keep looking. You'll find something that works for you. Okay. This is my favorite question of the podcast. This is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think we have to go back to uh, the time where um, everything collapsed in 2008 and I was made redundant. Now at that time, 2008, I was right in the middle of doing that Olympics legacy work. And I had all of the companies together and I was the, the kind of the person who was going to uh, government meetings and I was doing presentations. My company at that time even did a, a super film about the Olympics legacy and the opportunity that was there for jobs and, and the economy and actually not just having you know, a, basically a white elephant there. And so there's two things. Um, I lost my job and therefore, you know, all the people, you know, all the, the different boroughs in East London, Tower Hamlets and Newham and Hackney and all the rest of it, 
they were all thinking, oh, what we're going to do now, Kay kind of leads this. Um, so I set up my own company and I did it very quickly and I started do. I took control of the situation and decided that I was going to do it, even although you know, I wasn't being paid now, et cetera, et cetera. There was tenacity there. And, um, and the other thing that I will say was that, um, you know, a lot of different strands to that, but I felt very strongly about it and believed in it. And, you know, I just spent the last three years, I think, since we, we had actually won the games, actually going around all these companies and uh, digital companies, production companies, broadcast channels, radio channels, London um, Film School, you know, education places, art places, theatre places, I mean, just endless, arguing the case that we should come together in a group and make sure that something happens to the broadcast centre after the Games is over. And so, you know, we were constantly battling against things like, you know, our current Prime Minister was mayor then, and he was saying, well, we should do a, a ski slope, an indoor ski slope. Bob, Bob, Bob's your uncle, job done. And we were saying, yeah, but that's like five jobs. We're talking about thousands of jobs creation. So I think what, I think if I was going to say that I was, my inner rebel was despite all, and we even had someone saying, oh, you can, I can remember him. He stood in the middle of the broadcast center, which is a million square foot. And he said, you could even, this was to someone that was interested in, in buying, you could even knock it down, sell it for scrap. <laughs> and we were sitting there thinking, well, I was sitting there thinking that there is no way we've spent millions of pounds building this. We're going to make it something. And now, I don't know if you know, but it's it basically helped all the government officials get behind it. So we wrote the vision for it. We pushed it out and we kept pushing it. And it's now home to BT Sport and a huge creative arts and production hub with lots, hundreds and hundreds of jobs in East London. And I mentioned the book because obviously that's partly what I was going through at the time. But I, th I think that's my inner rebel. It's like, I'm not going to let them knock this down and do nothing. And as a, as a group, we were brilliantly strong then and we made it happen so something that I think we can all be proud of. That's amazing and I, I love that your rebellion has created a legacy as well I think that's fantastic. <laughs> okay tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books and your company. Uh, well probably the book um, the best place to go is a website that's quite well it's relatively new khutchison.com k-a-y-h-u-t-c-h-i-s-o-n.com it's Scottish spelling I have to say it you got it right Sasha which is really <laughs> wonderful um, but I'm also on um, uh, LinkedIn there's quite a lot of things about the books there there's bellmedia.co.uk is my little publishing company with all the books that we've published for children and and you know video games and all the projects that we've done over the years. Um, but I, I think those two places, khutchinson.com and bellmedia.com with an E as in B-E-L-L-E media.com. Um, I think everything is is there. 
Fantastic. And I will, of course, leave links to those places in the show notes. Well, thank you very much for a fascinating conversation today. And thank you also to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Thank you also to our wonderful listeners. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Kay Hutchison, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. So just a note to say, sorry about the audio, it sounded a little echoey and uh, I realised as I started editing this podcast that that was because my room, my office was still empty, very, very empty at the point that I recorded this. So yeah, sorry about that guys. Uh, Hopefully as um, a few more podcasts go, um, as I batch record, you won't find so many with that slight uh, tinny echo in the background I uh, uh, now have a full office as you can hear from the audio that I'm recording now. Uh, So next week I will be talking to Alex Newton from Kalytics. Kalytics is a amazing uh, author service. They provide reports for different genres with a stack of marketing um, and uh, genre and sales knowledge and uh, I find them fantastic. I have used them personally myself and uh, the episode next week is a special one because it will be a video as well. So if you don't normally uh, listen on YouTube then I'd recommend hopping over to YouTube next week because, or or perhaps, you know, having them both up, I don't know, whatever, um, but you will uh, be able to see his PowerPoint uh, as he has like a presentation that he talks uh, through whilst he is uh, talking to me. And for those who definitely don't want to look on YouTube, don't worry, uh, we made sure that you can listen on audio, pure and simple, and you will still completely understand everything that we discuss. So that's next week. And yeah, don't forget to go and answer this week's question, which is what kind of self-care do you do? All right. And I will catch you next week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.